Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. My guest today is from a British startup company with an innovative idea. Jack, welcome to Gomology. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, yeah, so uh, my name is Jack Millington, and I'm the founder of Billy Tannery. And what is Billy Tannery's unusual and uh, excellent business idea? Well, yeah, so Billy Tannery is, is the UK's only um, goat leather tannery. So we are a, uh, a business that, that, that takes goat skins that are left over from the, the meat and dairy industry in the UK. And, and we, we upcycle, for want of a better word, those, those goat skins into, into high quality leather that, that we then use for a range of, uh, of our, own, uh, our own goods and, and also to provide leather for, for other companies. How did you get started in this? Yeah, it's a, it's something that I, I get asked quite a lot, actually, because uh, I don't have a background in, le- in the leather industry at all. Um, I actually, I grew up on the, in a farm, on a farm. So that's probably my link back to it, because my father uh, had a, a dairy farm and then had some goats on his farm. Um, and I I was working in London at the time. My, my previous career was in marketing and um, I was helping dad. Uh, just come up with ways that he might sell some of his his goat meat to some local restaurants, and and sort of got stuck in and was kind of helping him helping him with that. And somehow along the way, I kind of had the idea of well, what what happens to the to the goat skins after um, uh, after the, the the meat? And yeah, I sort of that was the thread that I started pulling on, and uh, and gradually it just sort of snowballed and. Yeah, and now we have, we have our own tannery on the farm, and um, and yeah, we're having to 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 really kind of go from from not knowing anything about leather or leather goods into into yeah, becoming a, my my whole life. Yeah, because um, goats, although intelligent, cute, and wonderful animals that they are, are a bit sort of short on purpose, to my knowledge. They are used to get goat's milk, and to a limited degree. Uh, meat production but not sort of much more yeah i mean i think it's uh, i don't i the, the sort of the global stats on it are crazy like the uh, goat is the i think is the most widely eaten red meat in the world um when you think of kind of asia africa all those sort of countries um but in europe it's predominantly been a, a dairy reason why 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 goats are kept and um and that's a fairly modern thing i think um uh the, the, the growth in the dairy industry um, with with goats has, has led to uh, its own issue, which is what what to do with the male goats born on a dairy farm, and that's kind of where the um, the kind of the growing goat meat um, trade is is coming from in in the UK specifically, but a, across Europe. I think we see some of it here as well, but um, as you say, uh, upcycling the goat skins into something useful isn't generally done to any large extent i think yeah i mean it, it's again it's it varies across the world like in in sort of india particularly um they they produce quite a lot of goat leather actually um and the, the thing with leather and the thing that that i was sort of was one of the reasons why i was quite interested in in it from a brand perspective is that leather is to most people just leather and they don't think of anything more than that um if they if they do think about the fact that it's come from an animal they probably assume it's always come from a cow whereas actually there are so many different types of leathers and and it's just that that companies don't tend to talk about it too much because there's this sort of understandable kind of goriness that comes that comes with it when you're when you're thinking too hard about leather but um but yeah increasingly because of everyone's sort of increased interest in traceability and all that kind of stuff you will start seeing a little bit more on so like a shishi brands um handbags will say that it's uh, a goat leather or it's uh, a sheep leather or something like that which which i think starts to open people people's eyes to it a little bit more i suppose like a lot of things surrounding production of meat and so forth it's um we tend to keep things a bit abstract to make it a little less uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, I think so. I think it's always something that's a line that we're always trying to tread. It's kind of how we want to do something a little bit differently by being much more open about leather and its links with, with meat and everything like that. But yeah, that there is a limit, I think, um, to, to what people want to think about when they're, when they're buying a fashion item. It is, uh, it is good though, to think that, um, 
by using the leather as well, you are giving the goats quite a bit more purpose in life. I think so. I think that's generally one of the major positives about leather. It gets leather gets sort of pulled into a lot of quite bad press for sometimes for for good reason and sometimes for for sort of it not being thought through too much. Because if you you imagine um, an, an animal that's that's being reared for its meat, predominantly that's that's the reason why why it's um, it's there. Um, and once then the meat's eaten, that that's that's done. Whereas with um, with leather, it's if it's if it's tanned correctly, that's that's some, something that's going to be around and, and looking great for for decades, if not sort of a hundred years. Hmm. So now that we've got that uncomfortable bit about the actual goats out of the way, um, I'd like to hear a bit more about just how you went from idea to actual company. And um, I mean, dealing with goats, there are of course infinite opportunities for puns and uh, goat jokes, I suppose. But from the moment you thought that, hey, what can we do with these goat skins? Yeah. What happened? Yeah, so that was, it was, I look back on it and it feels like it all happened very quickly, but actually I, I was still working in London at the time. I'd I'd started asking questions I, uh, about how to get uh, a few of the, the skins left over from from uh, the goats on my dad's farm uh, tanned. And I thought, oh, that's an obvious, easy thing. So I started looking on, online and quickly realized that there basically wasn't anything, um, which I thought was a little bit odd. Um, and so, yeah, I just did a lot more sort of online research and eventually what I ended up talking to someone at the University of Northampton. Um, and you may know, obviously, Northampton's a big t- um, sort of town for, for shoes and, and uh, as such leather as well. And the, the University of Northampton has a, a leather school that, that trains people in the sort of technical aspects of, of leather making. So, yeah, I finally got a kind of a positive response from someone saying, yeah, you can't, th- th- there's no way you can get uh, goatskin stand in the UK, but um, here's a few th- ways that you might want to do it. Um, and it was sort of, yeah, get a barrel and put this in the barrel. And I was thinking, no, I'm not, I'm not getting involved in that. But the, what did eventually happen is they put me in touch with someone um, who was one of the last remaining provider of kind of tannery equipment to the the tanneries that were in the in the uk and he got quite excited um obviously because he found a sucker who was potentially going to buy buy some stuff off him but yeah the the sort of one of the luckiest things was that he happened to have these two tanning drums sitting in his yard that he'd reclaimed from a tannery that shut down in the probably in the late 90s and and they just happened to be kind of exactly right for for tanning goatskins i think they were originally for for sheepskins um so it kind of went from from there really it was kind of oh okay could we fit those in one of the buildings on the farm um how does how do you actually tan leather because obviously i was working in marketing i had no idea how you even went about it so yeah that was kind of the the moment when it was like okay well if we're going to make this happen then we're going to need to sort of make it happen a slightly bigger scale than potentially I'd, i'd thought about so that was kind of the background to it and the the thing that actually made it more of a reality was that um, <laughs> through the conversations I was having on behalf of my dad, uh, trying to find a, a supplier, um, um, someone to buy his goat meat, um, trying to find sort of an outlet for it, I came across this company called Cabrito, um, which is run by James Wetler, who is um, an ex-chef who runs this um, company that basically makes sure that the male goats on dairy farms in the UK go into the, the food in, uh, into the food industry because sadly there was the, the, the sort of the historical answer was just that they would they would kill those male goats at birth because they had no use on a dairy farm which is absolutely insane so James's company Cabrito was set up to make that happen and was getting to a point where it was large enough and he was thinking what what happens to the goat skins and that was that's just a complete lucky coincidence that at that time I happened to be looking at could I build a tannery and uh and yeah James I think we had a chat on Twitter or something and then we spoke on the phone and he said yeah you can have all of the goat skins from my business if, if you could do something with them um so it went from kind of just a little hobby thing in the in the back garden to okay there are there are potentially thousands of, of goat skins going to use uh, going to waste can we find a way to to do something with them so yeah, that was the kind of situation that I found myself in and kind of went for it from there, really. 
So from a uh, sort of uh, whimsical idea on a Saturday afternoon to uh, suddenly having thousands of potential goat skins to take care of. Yeah. Did you did you at this point see a market for it? Of it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think at the time I was I sort of rather naively thought that yeah, if you have a tannery, you can then just sell leather to people, and that's that's the obvious way to do it. Um, you did, so you did have a past in marketing, I understand at this point. Well, exactly. Yeah. Naive. <laughs> yeah. Well I, well, I sort of thought, well, yeah, I can create this this nice brand around it, and people really like the kind of the small scale uh, aspect of of where their leather is going to be sourced, and so yeah, uh, disappeared off to to. Um, I think, what's it called? There's a trade show in, in Italy, which is, it's Linea Pele, it's called, which is like the, the big leather trade show. And thought, right, we'll go, we'll go and have a look there and see what the leather industry is all about. And quickly <laughs> realized that there's just like aircraft hangers worth of like different tanneries from across the world selling their wares. And I was thinking, oh, okay, how are we going to break into this? And um, I, what I ended up doing is on a small scale, once we had some the first leather that we tanned, I, I got a few different samples and I went around a few people in the UK who I thought could brands that might might want to buy the goat leather. And um, it wasn't really going anywhere. And and luckily, I had a conversation with a with a guy called Bill Amberg, who is kind of one of the the, the names in the in the British leather world. I would say he has a leather design company that does lots of um, interiors for hotels and all that kind of stuff. And and Bill Bill said to me. I think what you're doing is fantastic and the leather looks amazing, but what you need to be doing is making stuff out of this leather and selling that because a, you're not going to have enough leather to, to make it worthwhile selling to people and B, like the, just the slog of, of trying to get people to, to buy leather is, is, it's, is not worth it. So yeah, that was a very lucky moment when I was thinking sort of, and then the light bulb goes off and goes, okay, well maybe my, <laughs> my marketing background might be a little bit more useful in, in building um, a brand of, of, goods that that we can we can sell that use our leather so that was the kind of the next stage of the journey so yeah went through all the rigmarole of building a tannery learning how to tan and then it was like okay now we've got to learn how to make products and and sell those products so at what point did you realize this wasn't as easy as you thought it might have been (laughs) (laughs) well i think i think it was a sort of a slowly dawning realization but i kind of that was what appealed to me a little bit was the challenge of it. I think that I think anyone setting up a business, if they knew quite what they were getting into, I'm not sure they would do it. I think that's part of the, 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 why it happens is the naivety. I think you just jump in both feet and go, right, we'll work this out as we, as we go. And, and that's kind of, kind of been it in it, uh, uh, the process since we started. Yeah. So at this point you'd got the tannery, you'd got the skins, you'd actually managed to tan them. How did you go about um, developing products and getting them, them out there? Yeah, so th- this this was kind of the, um, as I said, the sort of the, the changing point. It was kind of, okay, we need to, to change the focus. How do you launch a range of, of leather goods? Um, and we wanted them to be made here in, in the UK um, because we're going through all this trouble to tan the leather here. Why, why would you then send it off to, to Spain or Turkey or somewhere to get the get the, the some products made? So the... The lucky thing was when I was talking to, to Bill Amberg in that in that meeting when I was trying to sell him leather, he said, well, I, I know designers, so if you want to do that, then let me know and I'll introduce you to someone. Um, so that was kind of that was kind of it. We were introduced to a to an accessories designer um, called called Simon Benton who who designed our our first range of of products for us, which was um, uh, some a few bags and um, uh, some wallets and stuff like that. And yeah, he said he knew a workshop and, and yeah, off we went on sort of working out sampling and all that kind of stuff. But the big, the big thing that we decided to do at that stage was rather than taking an, an enormous punt on stocking a load of products and not knowing whether we could sell them, um, we decided that crowdfunding was going to be the best option. Um, and yeah, I say we actually, it won't be worth, worth clarifying that I have uh, a business partner, Rory, who is, um, an old friend of mine who, um, is a, a brand designer, basically he's a graphic designer. So he, he sort of joined forces with me to kind of come up with the whole brand for Billy Tannery. And, um, and yeah, we went up about kind of planning this Kickstarter campaign, this, which is how we launched in, in 2016. God, it's five years ago already. I remember that campaign. It was, uh, it was inspiring. 
Well, that's good. <laughs> Which is probably as intended. How, how did it go? Did you reach all your goals and so forth? We did, yeah. I mean, it was, it's one of those things, like in, in hindsight, it, it, it didn't go amazingly well. But at the time, we kind of set a relatively low goal and thought, we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll make what, what we can sell. And um, yeah, we ended up, we set like a 12, I think it was about £12,000 goal. And we ended up um, selling over 30000 worth of, of products. And it was, it was just amazing. I mean, that was sort of all-encompassing kind of couple of months planning for that. And you're never quite sure what's going to happen. And you get lots of family and friends to make sure they're going to they're going to buy stuff right at the beginning. And then it kind of took off and, and <clears throat> we were kind of uh, running at that point. And then, yeah, the, the inevitable, then the campaign ends and you then have to go off and make all of those products that you said you were going to make. And um, that was kind of the real, the real challenge at that point. It was kind of, does the, does the supply chain that we've kind of pasted together actually work? And that was sort of a, the next year of, of kind of quite nerve wracking moments of, delays in workshops, delays in making the leather, all that kind of stuff. But I think the beauty of, of doing it through Kickstarter is that people are kind of along for the journey and they, they didn't get too annoyed. I think there is the feeling of supporting someone. So if you sort of believe in your dream and support it, then you do feel a sense of ownership, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think so. I think I think people were kind of on board. I think the the story resonates. I think it's a sort of one of those things that people cannot believe that you tell them that that a um, there aren't really any tanneries left in the UK, which which means that that hides and skins are just going into landfill or being burned, and and b that that like there are barely any co- companies in the UK actually using British leather um, because it, it's just so much of it is just Im- imported from abroad, and I think people just think, oh, hang on a minute, why aren't we doing that? And they kind of uh, like us, believe that it's something that, that, that this should be happening more often. Well, there's certainly enough raw material in the UK. So why aren't there tanneries? Is it due to environmental reasons or is it economic? I think it was, it's mainly, it's a bit of both. I think it's it's economic. I think um, for for decades, sort of since the sort of 70s and 80s, I think the various manufacturing industries in the UK have been kind of um, going downhill after once things start getting outsourced abroad um, to places where the labour is much cheaper and there aren't so many environmental um, regulations to, to 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 try and follow. That that yeah, I think it's just that sort of race to the bottom that that tanneries were trying to make cheaper and cheaper leather to 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 keep up with with stuff from from uh, from abroad and just went out of business trying to do that. So I think the the last few tanneries that are left are are ones that have kind of that realized that they had to produce the best leather and did not worry about the, the price um so that was kind of the that's kind of the uh, the kind of the, the the industry that we were trying to sort of operate in was um was some was one that was in decline and, and there wasn't a huge amount of optimism mm, it does strike me that i rarely see mention of where the leather is sourced from but if I do see mention of it, it will be sort of oak tanned leather from some ancient tannery in the Cotswolds or something like that. Mm. So they're, they're actually using it as a huge selling point that they are still there operating in a traditional and environmentally friendly way and so forth. Yeah, that's right. I think, uh, yeah, you'll see stuff. It's mainly actually Baker's um, tannery who are like the, the only remaining oak bark um, pit tannery. And it's down in, in the West west country somewhere and and they yeah they're the one that you'll see kind of named because people are going to spend the money to buy that leather they're gonna they they want to sort of tell people why it's so amazing and that's that's kind of the the opportunity i think i think so much people do care where things come from these days and i think it's now just a case of (laughs) who's actually still producing leather here and and can can make um most of that opportunity Hmm. which were what method of tanning is it you use so we use a, a bark tanning method as well, but um, the, the, I mentioned that we use these um, the tanning drums that we had had installed, and that's the sort of, uh, in the grand scheme of things, modern approach um, to, to tanning leather, rather than just leaving the hides in a in a um, in a sort of bark solution over years to, to tan. Um, if you put them in a in a wooden drum, which is basically like a like a big wooden washing machine, the the kind of the action of them rolling around in there um 
speeds up the telling process and 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 that's uh, and, that, and that's what we we use um because it makes it a little bit more practical than than putting <laughs> putting them in there and leaving leaving them for two years it does sound like the tanning industry is ripe for technological evolution yeah and, and don't get me wrong the the sort of 99 percent of of the tanning industry uses much more modern technology than 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 that and and um chrome tanning is kind of the is, is a lot of a sort of it's, it's basically bad mouthed a lot because there it is unless you sort of are really careful with the environmental um kind of treatment of everything you're using in the tannery then if if chrome tanning agents which is sort of metal salts basically chrome salts get into rivers and stuff it's 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 not it's not good news um which is partly why modern leather industry has has bad um has a bad reputation but um there are some amazing tanneries still around the world that have like sort of robotically controlled drums that um, you bet it barely requires anyone to even look at it sort of. <laughs> and, and yeah, there's definitely a lot of innovation, but for, for us, that wasn't really the way to go. I think it was, how could we do things on our farm in a way that was, that was going to be okay with the local environment agency that we were <laughs> treating things in the right way. And, and, and vegetable tanning is, was kind of the way to do that because yeah, anything, anything that we're using in our tanneries is not going to cause any major issues if it if it happened to to, to get out, even though it, it doesn't. But and there are questions of scale and economy as well. Yeah, I think so. I think um, we we do things on a very small scale because um, because that's kind of how we set up and the the way that the way that we we mostly tan for our own requirements means that we aren't. Trying to to sort of produce a massive volume that we're we're trying to sell with a with a small margin, we're we're hopefully a little bit more um, considered than that. So now that you've made your first initial products, how has how have things moved on since then? Yeah, so we we still we've kept our our range relatively small. I think that was it's kind of intentional like as a as a small team and uh, a small operation. The, it's very easy to, for, to sort of start adding too many products that just sort of get out of out of control but we've we've gradually tried to sort of expand the range depending on what our customers have been asking for so um we've we recently added a slightly smaller version of our original roll top backpack which is kind of our kind of signature product is that um uh, large roll top backpack that kind of rolls up and down um and we've recently launched a zip top version of that which is just a slightly smaller lighter weight version which people have been asking for right from the beginning so that's generally how we approach things for our own range but what what we really do a lot of and and is the part that i really enjoy is is um is collaborations um because i i we can't in-house learn how to make everything but by collaborating with with someone um say crown northampton for example who i know you know um collaborating with with, with a company like that who can take our leather and make something completely new that that's um that's a bit more that's interesting and, and that our customers will be interested in um and i think yeah i think that that's sort of the key is we is trying to show all the different things that goat leather can be used for um because it's um yeah the more that i learned about it throughout the process the more kind of it sort of seems like a wonder material uh, it's kind of the it compared to other leathers it's kind of it's it's thin but it's also strong um it's soft but it's also uh, really durable so yeah, there are tons of things that it can be used for. It's more, it's more of a, uh, an exercise in in control <laughs> to make sure that we don't go off and try and do too many things. Yeah, I'm just sort of thinking now with it being so soft and pliable and uh, quite lovely. Really, um, you could get quite carried away. <laughs> Any number of things, get yeah, skin yeah. shirts and underwear. <laughs> you can have those ideas for free. Um, Thank yep. you. Yeah, we can collaborate with you on them, maybe. Yeah, as long as I don't need to model them. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, you mentioned uh, the Crown Northampton because they're sort of in a slightly similar position as you, I think, in being a small uh, traditional company, uh, probably also angling for new ideas, ways to make different things. So how how did they come about uh, using your leather? Yeah, so that was that was a, a sort of a happy accident, really. I, I was I was aware of of Crown 
um, for, I've been aware of them for a while, but we, we both happened to be at a, um, a show in, in London. I think it was probably in 2017 and it turned out to be not a very good show with not many people turning up. Um, so what, but what it did mean is that the exhibitors who were there spent quite a lot of time just chatting to each other. Um, and yeah, I got chatting to, to Mark from, from Crown and, and he was, he was really into what, what we were doing and, and, interested that there was a new tannery just like 15 miles away from from Northampton where where they were and um yeah we I, I just I remember asking him so what what do you think do you think you could use goat leather for your shoes and he um yeah he took away a piece of leather and um literally a week later a pair of sneakers arrived <laughs> were made in that in that um piece of leather that I'd given them and I, I just couldn't believe how how quick and how easy it was and I think for sort of lots of reasons the kind of the stars aligned that they're they're a made to order company so it wasn't like they had to go in and and um it was a big uh sort of production process to halt and then put our leather in there they just yeah they made they made me a pair and, and um yeah we started planning a, a, a collaboration from there really and it all came together all came together quite quickly so was that another kickstarter or was it a pre-order or no, by that stage, we we kind of a little bit more confident in our own website and and kind of the, the following that we had. So yeah, we we just launched it ourselves on our on our website. But it was it was a pre order, and we we kind of tend to do that for any collaboration now. It's um, it, it it sort of just seems to be the a method that works for us. We say Here, here's the here's the item. Um, this is how much it costs. Order it now, and then in in um, maybe six to to eight weeks, it will be it will be made for you and, and be ready. So that that's what we did with with Crown, and actually we've done it. Um, we've done a couple of times with them, um, which is great. Everyone everyone absolutely loves it. We've always got people asking when when we're going to do it again. For guys like me who really appreciate a story around <laughs> the stuff they wear, uh, I mean collaborations like that are, are gold. It's so often that you get people collaborating and can't really understand why they bothered or what why the end result is as well dull as it is <laughs> but of course in this case you have two really good stories coming together and making some really good sneakers i'm not really a sneaker sports shoe person but i have to admit that those goat skin crowns are brilliant well that, that's great to hear i think i think i could i completely agree with you i think you see so many collaborations that um are done just for sort of for pure marketing reasons. And, and I think what we've always tried to do is like, it, it has to be like a practical reason why our, our goat leather would be a good fit for, for, for that product. And, and normally it's a, a like-minded um, brand in it that's got UK manufacturing and it just makes it really easy. I think there's a few that um, potential collaborations that have stalled. I think that it's just sort of the natural way of things like the ones that have happened are the ones that, are a good fit because it kind of yeah our leather works perfectly for that product um we get on with the people that, that run it they're keep, we're both keen to do it and you can launch these things um pretty quickly actually i mean it's it's a case of getting some samples made and 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 getting it out there i mean we've we've recently um collaborated with laird hatters um and uh which was which was one that uh that on the face of it, I was like, leather hats, we're not going to make, we're not going to make leather hats. But after speaking to them, um, it, we, we agreed that actually the peak of a cap, um, is quite nice in, in leather. It's just, um, uh, it kind of almost like a sort of military style with a, with a, with the leather peak. And, and that was one that came together really quickly. And, and, um, people seem to really, really like those. There's a short way from uh, Leather Peaks to the Tom of Finland signature edition. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm sure some listeners will, though. <laughs> but yeah, the, the... leave it at that. Um, <laughs> have you got any other cool collaborations coming up? Yeah, we have actually. Um, we are actually um, collaborating with a, uh, a desert shoe, a desert boot. A maker called um called jad friedman um who is uh he's quite incredible actually he's kind of it turns out it's like the expert in the uk at um stitch down construction so um for, for desert boots or something like that that are that are made in that traditional way um jad has a a factory in suffolk and he's basically self-taught um he uh he does a bit of making for 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 other brands but he has his own sort of small range um 
but but yeah i was introduced to him and and yeah we we, we later this month we're going to be launching some some goat leather uh, desert boots which we're really excited about just strike me that there must be a huge potential within the sports shoe industry sort of taking the crown idea even further it, i saw this well i heard this joke recently about um someone was offered the vegan version but wanted the the sort of non-vegan option and and so much of the the sports shoe industry is centered around synthetic leather substitutes or just plain synthetics whereas goat leather must be actually the real non-vegan option there which could have been used a lot yeah absolutely i think i think you're right in that it seems to be that the everything does seem to be heading towards people wanting to use more and more of these so-called vegan leather materials that that are essentially mostly just plastic and anyone's ever worn something like that to play sport in or, or anything you'll feet are basically in a plastic bag and get really hot and really sweaty so yeah some uh, goat leather is great for that um but i guess it's just a, a, a question of cost normally something that's tanned properly and, and made properly is it's probably not going to fit the cost model of a of a sort of high volume um trainer maker but you never know well i mean there's enough uh, enough trainer makers that are higher end and well, some of them even make in the UK, I suppose. And uh, mm. again, yeah, definitely. you could have the, the pre-order, short run, small scale versions. I, w- I would like to see more stuff like that being done. Yeah. I mean, we do have some really interesting conversations. I won't name the brand, but one of the, one of the, one of the larger um, sneaker companies who do some manufacturing in the UK, we had a, a sort of a long conversation about uh, how exciting it would be to use our leather to make some trainers. And, what happened in the end was that they wanted us to replicate a leather that they'd already used. And it was kind of, we had a go at changing the color of our leather and doing something because it was such an interesting opportunity. But in the end, it just got a bit ridiculous, really. It was thinking, well, I'm not going to spend all this time and effort basically making our leather not look like goat leather to just so we can, (laughs) we can do this because it just completely seemed to defeat the point for me. But um, yeah does sound like a collaboration that was sort of going in the wrong direction indeed yeah i think so yeah hmm. so where do you th- see things moving forwards now yeah so that we've, we've sort of got to a point now where it's um we kind of, i feel like we've finally after how many years it's been sort of five years probably three years officially as a as a business it kind of takes a lot of time to get into a into a rhythm and and kind of getting things working smoothly and we're now kind of at that, that sort of really exciting point where it's kind of how do we then take this and and um and keep growing it um there's obviously the that there's always going to be um in our current current tannery setup on the farm is a as a restriction on how much leather we can actually tan which is which stops us sort of <laughs> going going too mad with with plans but um but yeah there's there's definitely more um in the pipeline for us in terms of um sort of project products for the range different finishes for the leather i mean i'm i'm learning more and more about leather all the time and um it uh it, it took me an embarrassing amount of time to know that suede was just the other side of the of the leather um <laughs> so uh <laughs> you're making a face which makes me you probably didn't know that either um but, uh, oh, I, I knew that yeah <laughs> uh, in the leather industry <laughs> well I, I i guess i i knew it but i think it was one of those things i assumed that you had to do lots to the uh, lots to it to to make it that if you know what I mean I thought that you had to just like completely shave off the whole top um, and uh, yeah there was quite a funny moment it was it was quite a long time ago in my defence um, where the the person in our our leather finishing partner who are the company that do our kind of um, are dying for us so our, we tan the leather and then it goes down, just down the road to Northampton for for dying. And uh, yeah, I asked him. So, so how would we how would we make suede from our leather? And he literally just turned it over <laughs> and said, "Well, we'll just we'll just use that bit." <laughs> and uh, yeah, so 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 suede suede is is definitely something that we want to be using more of. And and yeah, the the desert boots that we're doing um, will, will be available in in a suede. Um, um, one of the other the other things that um, I'm looking into a lot at the moment is is the this sort of the issue that we uncovered in in goat leather um and and goat skins going to waste is not just with with goat skins in the uk so there are other 
um, particularly things like um, deer skins um, and sheep skins um, that are also just going to waste at the moment. So now that we've kind of set up and have our, our tannery and are our, our, our sort of um, able to, to, to tan leather, then there are other opportunities to do, to do other things outside of just goats. So that's a big kind of question at the moment is, is how that looks for us as a company, whether that's can still operate with under the Billy Tannery brand or whether that is purely for, for goat leather. So yeah, that's something that's um, we're thinking about a lot at the moment. I suspect once you start looking at all the skins that go to waste, it's um, quite the rabbit hole of uh, discovery. Yeah, definitely. I think I think um, it's um, deer leather is the really interesting one for me at the moment because there's for for, for lots of reasons, increasing number of, of deer in in um, in the UK. They're kind of multiplying without um, <laughs> without any check. So there's there's sort of lots more deer, and people are trying to promote. Um, uh, sort of supermarkets stocking more venison and stuff like that, and the the, the knock-on effect of that again is the is what to do with the the leftover skins and um, yeah. So we're, we've got some some trials kind of coming up with a, with a few um, uh, collaborators who who have kind of who want to use the leather basically um, that, that we're going to be doing with with that. So that's something that's kind of quite exciting and potentially a bit of growth out outside of just focusing on goat leather. What sort of properties do the deer leather have? Well, from from my understanding, it's kind of almost another stage up in terms of those kind of amazing um, uh, sort of characteristics of goat, where it's kind of soft but also durable. As as far as I know, deer is kind of even more durable and and um, and also pretty soft. So it's going to be yeah, really interesting to kind of to test it. Really, I think um, I'm trying to think what sort of deer skin is generally it's sort of a bit like goat it's traditionally used for kind of for, for gloving and um, and uses like that because of its because of its softness mm. it's a fascinating idea that um all, all this raw material that has just been put into the landfill which could be used and then start thinking about what on earth can we use all this for and it's such a huge resource that has just been thrown away yeah, it's it, it's sort of something that really it really baffles me really, and I and it's it, it's all this energy going into kind of future materials, sort of lab growing something that's going to replace leather. When actually, uh, for <laughs> while people are still eating meat, there's which I believe will will continue. There, it's it's crazy not to not to use leather. I think I think it sort of. For me, it kind of comes down to like an embedded squeamishness that people have. Like we spoke right at the beginning about how people don't necessarily want to know where leather comes from. And I think that has a sort of a knock on effect and people start trying to solve a different issue. They're kind of, OK, well, we want this leather like material, but we don't want it to come from an animal. So we're going to try and grow it from something. And I don't know, it doesn't doesn't quite sit with me right when 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 this <laughs> hides and skins that can be tanned into leather are are literally being burned and causing even more of an environmental issue. It does seem an incredibly roundabout way to solve a problem that doesn't really exist uh, because it has just been created, really, uh, this squeamishness. I mean, people hundreds of years ago didn't have ethical concerns about using the entire animal they'd hunted or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. So the question is, can uh, industries be built up that will actually use all this available leather? Yeah, it seems, I think it seems, seems nowadays you you can hardly order a car without a leather interior. So obviously, the price of car interior leather has come down. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really interesting one. I think, um, it, and it's been it's sort of when before I was even starting Billy Tannery, I think I'd kind of. I kind of thought that this is the way that things would be going. Like people care more about where things come from. Um, and there would therefore be hopefully a bit of a turnaround on thinking about how we use leather. And as long as it's sourced correctly and tan correctly, there, there must be um, uh, a use for it going forward. And I think there was sort of a period for a couple of years where I thought, oh, maybe, maybe we're just going completely in the opposite direction. But over the past year or so, it seems to have really change tack and you and you've seen uh, i don't know whether you've seen that um mulberry have just launched this big um uh program where they're going to be sourcing more leather here in the uk and they're sort of talking a lot about regenerative farms and various other buzzwords and 
uh, and which is actually fantastic for someone like Mulberry to be to be talking about this kind of stuff is only going to be good for the for the wider kind of um I guess rethinking of leather which which was kind of the whole purpose with Billy Tannery from the from from the start and increasingly there there are sort of new designers coming like out of um, design schools and we we get kind of emails from them saying oh I'm I'm really keen on using leather but I want to make sure it's coming from somewhere I know where it's coming from and it's being tanned correctly and everything like that so I kind of am positive in that regard I think there's potentially like a new wave of um of, of designers and and sort of that, that will hopefully start to change that perspective on leather again when you're challenged by um, people who want to use your uh, leather like that uh, sort of about origin and uh, tanning methods and environmental what's whatever's are you able to give them satisfactory answers we can yeah i mean almost uniquely i i i know back to the farm where where the goat skins have come from um because of our relationship with the meat company um it's a phone i i know from a phone call which which um uh, the farms the the skins are coming from and and yeah which batch of leather that's come from and so if someone really wanted to know all the way back to to exactly where those goats were were living um i can tell them um which actually people don't want to go that into that much detail but i think it's 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 one of those things with traceability. It's it, it's you kind of knowing that the information is there and you could get it is 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 important. Hmm. Do you get the impression that they actually care about it or whether it's ticking the boxes because it's sort of what we do today? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think with the people that we're talking to, they I think they do generally care about it. I I do imagine that at a at a larger kind of corporation level, it's it's a box that has to be ticked. But even if it is, as long as it is actually being tipped properly rather than just uh, just sort of uh, greenwashed over then then yeah I think I think it's got to be a positive thing to be honest I think um, there are there are lots of, of these new sort of uh, initiatives for kind of showing traceability on on websites and where things have come from and I think I think that's got to be a good thing hmm. where, where do you see yourself fitting into the whole sustainability drive that we're in at the moment? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. I think the the word sustainability is one that I sort of try not to use if I can because it's so overused these days. And I think I think the sort of it's trying to think about things in a slightly more circular way. I think is is it's the way we try and look at it. It's kind of the whole the whole thing that fits together as a as in a in a sort of circular um, in a circular system um, rather than just saying this is sustainable because. Yeah, that, that can mean lots of different things from how long does it last? Can it be repaired? Like all those, all those sort of things you, mm. you want to think about. Um, and at the end of the day, the most sustainable thing most people could probably do is just not buy anything. And I think that's, that's a, a, well, a tricky one to, that, to come to terms with. That is one of the problems all these companies starting up now offering sustainable items and not seeing the irony of what they're doing, but. <laughs> Then, then again, it has become a sort of fashion thing as well. Um, it strikes me that actually the original meaning of sustainability was more the circular aspect, and that is something where you fit very nicely into it. Mm. Because, well, it's, I'm not going to start singing the Lion King song now, but it is the sort of circle of life here where the animals have purpose and then they no longer have purpose, but they regain a purpose through their reuse, and you have the circle going there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, what something that we've always done from the start is try to to make that link back with the food as as obvious as as possible with what we're doing in a in a way that hopefully doesn't put people off. So we do um, we do kind of projects with chefs um, where we've, we've we've done kind of menus for restaurants or. Um, sort of uh, the aprons that we sell actually started as a bespoke um, commission for a chef who wanted to um, he wanted to use the leather in the restaurant because he was using the meat in the restaurant and that kind of story I think is is really important for people and that's why yeah I, I kind of I think leather has a lot to learn from kind of what food has done in that respect because yeah the sort of it's all about kind of tracing things back and doing things locally and and uh, with with that sort of purpose rather than just yeah, just sticking sustainable on it and saying, yeah, let's buy loads of it. Hmm. I, I was sort of sitting here now thinking, 
of other products that could be made using uh, using the leather but i'm sort of coming back to this that a pair of really nice boots in goat leather would be so nice because there's leather is so soft and supple that you don't need that uh, whole amount of breaking in or they could just be made really light and comfortable yeah exactly i mean we mentioned the the, the desert boots that we're going to be launching i, I actually the, the the first very first samples arrived and um even when i've had a pair of clark's desert boots for example i've really struggled with blisters for the first sort of few days when you're wearing them in but because our, the our goat leather is so soft you kind of you don't get that at all and i literally straight out of the of the box was just wearing them with with no issue at all i think um yeah there, there's definitely there's definitely some some interesting future projects on in the, in the footwear space and i think it, it just makes sense like we're so where we are is so close to northampton and and yeah we'd love to be able to collaborate with some of the bigger northampton footwear companies at some point now oh, it strikes me that um, with the number of traditional shoemakers in northampton an industry known for well not a huge amount of innovation they've been doing pretty much the same designs same way for well the longest time um, with the opportunity of having some nice lovely soft goat leather almost on their doorstep you'd think they'd be sort of rushing to come up with fantastic new designs uh like lightweight brogue boots in goat skin can you hear me anyone um so and they're not doing it yeah it's it, it's a fascinating one really i mean i uh i've had conversations um lots of conversations with 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 some of the bigger uh, northampton shoe companies and yeah it just hasn't seemed to go gone anywhere so far i mean i think it, i don't know maybe maybe uh, if a company that's been around for hundreds of years is looking at some upstart tannery they're not quite sure whether they're going to trust us yet um but uh but i don't know i think i think there's definitely that opportunity there and um and yeah we we really hope that we can get there in the future I think I'd suggest uh, talking to William Lennon in Stony Middleton. They do some wonderful, very traditional shoes. They've been making them for about 120 years now. But the downside there is the thickness of the leather means that they need some breaking in. So if you can mm. sort of skip that by going to goat leather, that'd be brilliant. And they make them to order as well in small numbers. I don't know how this fits in, but I was actually I was listening to your podcast the other day with um, with Daniel Harris from London Cloth Company. Yeah. And um, it's a funny, it's a funny one where he he's actually part of the story why I ended up setting up the tannery in the first place. Um, Ooh, tell all. So yeah, I'd um, it was back when I was when I was still working in in marketing in London. I was kind of planning, had big plans for for for, for trying to set up a tannery, and I was but I was still sort of on the fence of whether uh, whether it was something I should I should do. And I went to one of these kind of. I think it was Make It British who were one of the kind of the companies promoting people to be making in the UK. And uh, Daniel from from London Cloth Company happened to be one of the speakers at at this conference. And I can remember, yeah, I sort of he came on and did this sort of amazingly kind of uh, uh, rambling um, presentation, which uh, which I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying. Um, and it, talking about how he'd set up these this mill and just just sort of seemed to me that he'd really jumped into it and. Yeah, it was definitely a, um, a kind of a turning point in my head a little bit where I thought, right, okay, well, this is something. It wouldn't be that crazy to to build our own tannery and to 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 start learning how to to do all these things from scratch because because yeah, there are other other examples of doing it. So I think yeah, that I listening to it, I did just think <laughs> yeah, I I I should speak to Daniel again. I think uh, compared to his story, your story is pretty much sanity itself. Um, his his <laughs> business model of traveling around finding derelict looms taking them back to london well pretty much refurbishing them from scratch building them up and then establishing a business around it um kind of the long game kind of crazy but then if you follow him on instagram you see that he is also having a lot of fun and I think he's probably tempting a lot of other people into starting something similar or even to just dare dream about having a crazy idea. Yeah, I think so. I think that's that's kind of that's all part of it. It's got to, you've got to be having fun with it. And I think I saw that he was having such fun with it, even though it did seem like it was this crazy idea. And I think, um, yeah, as you say, setting up sort of a leather and leather goods is a little bit more traditional perhaps but um 
but when you consider that yeah we're probably the our tannery was probably the first new tannery to be built in the uk for probably nearly 100 years um it's it's sort of it is a little bit crazy to think you've got to rebuild all these old supply chains and uh and uh yeah it's mad really that is quite a crazy thing to consider uh, and it just goes to show how much the British industry has been built down. I mean, that no one has sort of considered that building up a new modern tannery is a viable business model in all that time. Yeah, it would, it would appear so. I mean, I think I, there, there are still, in, in Scotland particularly, it's called the Scottish Leather Group, or some some big um, modern sort of high-tech tanneries that, that mainly specialise in automotive leather. Um but but yeah, it's 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 a it's a strange one. You kind of look at look at it as an industry, and you can't quite believe that there aren't people that that might think about setting something up new and, and large to kind of fill the void that was once there. But um, I think the the big thing is is um, and something that we probably will come up against as we as we try and grow is 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 to do with environmental um, uh, restrictions. And I think local councils not not having the kind of openness to look at. Um, to look at things differently because I think we, we were very lucky setting up that the, the sort of the, the, the team at the, our local environment um, agency were uh, were very open and and helped with um, help us sort of writing all the sort of documentation that we had to do to get planning permission to do to do what we're doing but there, there are some pretty archaic kind of rules in terms of like it's, it's all based on the sort of the quantity of, of leather that you might be producing and, and once you get to a certain level you jump up into into much more stringent environmental controls than than, than we have at the, at the moment um, but yeah I mean from the start thinking that we weren't going to get permission to do it at all we've kind of designed the process so that it's it's as clean as it possibly can be um, but yeah I imagine that's probably the reason why you don't see some some entrepreneur or business setting up a, a massive new tannery in the UK. Hmm. so three to five years in now is it is it has it become a viable business yeah so i think um we're getting there it's the the thing with a with a business like this there's always a lot of investment required um there's always the new piece of kit that we need or um you're investing in in um in sampling but uh but yeah despite kind of the a bit of a sort of six month shutdown during COVID when, when we weren't uh, able to repair a piece of kit in our, in our tannery, which meant we couldn't actually, um, any tan, any leather. We, we, yeah, we actually broke even for the first time this year, which is a, which is a, a good milestone that we'll definitely celebrate. But uh, yeah, we're not, we're not running off to the bank quite, quite just yet, but it's, um, it's definitely, it's definitely promising moving in the, moving in the right direction. Hmm. It's, it's quite strange to consider because there can't be many, businesses where you're basically offered the raw material for free and it doesn't sound like the investments have been huge and i mean it does sound like a pretty good business idea yeah i think so i mean that it costs a lot more money to turn that raw material into into something viable than than you might think i think that's probably and just it's mainly just in terms of like man hours um and that's one of the the things that we'll find as we grow i i i know is that i i obviously don't pay myself by the hour uh and if i if i did it probably wouldn't look much like a viable business model at the moment so that's that's the thing to consider with with growing any sort of hands-on labor intensive um practice like like tanning um is that yeah you look at a piece of leather and you assume it's just yeah you've just turned that into leather but actually it's sort of days and days of uh, of, of of labor before you've even then turned that into a um a, into a product that you're going to you're going to use so so yeah i think there's there's a there's a, a bit more to it but 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 yeah i, I see what you mean like with a with a, a material that is other is a waste product um mm. it is a, a massive opportunity but given that you're now doing this in the UK, it's a field where most will be fetching their leather from outsourced companies. Are you able to compete against low-cost company uh, countries? I guess it depends in what way. I mean, we're, we're not attempting to, to compete with a large uh leather producer as such by selling leather to people i guess we're, we're probably now trying to compete more with with the sort of the leather companies that and that's and that's 
really going to be something to do with scale in the end. Um, with the best will in the world, we're not going to be able to, for a lot, we wouldn't be able to produce enough bags um, or enough leather to make those bags to, to really properly compete um, on that scale. But I think that's not really the company I'm trying trying to mm. set up. It's a it, it, it's designed from the start to be a much uh, lower volume business, I guess. Mm. You're sort of starting your own game instead. I think so. Yeah, I think that's that's always the the thing when you're. It, it's almost because it's the leather industry just declined so much in the UK. It's almost fresh fresh ground again. You can kind of uh, do something a little bit differently, which is kind of what we decided to do. There are there. I don't think there are, as to my knowledge, any tanneries that produce their own goods in the uk there are a few examples around the world um uh, there's one in um in sweden actually i think um i don't know how you pronounce it um it's b-o-l-e but it's got an accent on it so i don't know how the yeah it I, I, I was trying to think of another one but um yeah i mean there are sort of craft tanneries around uh, which is good because uh, i mean such a lot of leather today comes from tanneries in india at the top of the ganges river where environmental um, concerns are not great uh, but a lot of that leather finds its way through the cheap fashion shops around the world um, which is where the concern really should lie yeah exactly and i think that's that's part of something that we're always fighting against if you someone talks about leather that you have that kind of assumption of some sort of billowing smoke and and um, like uh, horrible uh, sort of pollution going into a river somewhere. You you, you can't really imagine. Someone probably wouldn't be able to imagine that it could be done in a clean way on a farm um, that uh, that doesn't have to be so um, so damaging. And I think yeah, if you think that we've got we've got to the point where someone would assume that they could buy a a, a leather jacket in Primark for a fiver and. Uh, and that, sh- and that should be something you can do. It's just uh, that's something that that you need to try and reverse um, how people think about leather. Really, it's, it's something that will probably increasingly become a, a premium material if if things keep going in the same way and we eat less and less and less meat, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just a, a reframing of how how special a material is and how much you should um, you should have to pay for it. Really, mm. It's not even just about eating less meat, though, is it? Because, say, in the case of goats, um, it's about eating less goat cheese. And Mm -hmm. I've often thought the sort of the use of goats is so incredibly sad because we use so little of them. Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, I don't don't really have much comment on that. No, but so actually getting meat and leather from them does give them more, um, more meaning. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think you I think with anything, it's just giving the respect of, of, of using as much of it as possible. Hmm. So in closing, is there anything you'd like to mention? Any upcoming events or products or thoughts even? Yeah, well, I think it's been great talking to you. I think the, the, the sort of as I've mentioned, we're kind of at this this um, really exciting time for for Billy Tannery, and we've got these uh, some new products in the pipeline. Um, and we've got a uh, yeah this collaboration, this Desert Boot collaboration, which is launching this this month in May. So if people um, want to hear about that, then um, yeah, we have our our newsletter list, and we have we send our uh, fortnightly Billy Drum uh, email, which is um, just a bit of a, a sort of a light smattering of things that we that we enjoy and that's the, the kind of the best place to find out about new stuff and, and yeah you'll be the first to hear about this the, the desert boots that are launching okay jack this was Thanks a lot. interesting and um, i'll look, look out for the desert boots bye-bye and that was all for this week's episode of gomology a podcast about clothes and stuff Thanks to my guest this week, Jack Millington from uh, Billy Tannery. I'll uh, drop their details in the show notes so you can find them. And um, if you'd like to get in touch with me, I am Nick Johannesson. Uh, email gomology at welldressedad.com. And uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram as welldressedad. And my blog is at welldressedad.com. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor the podcast please do get in touch. If you enjoyed it, you can leave a review 
and rating on Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated. It does help me uh, find new listeners. So until next week, 